feel kind of like God. <laughs> and then this man with the devil on his hand came and took the hat. Free Britney. Free Britney. Why, hello there, and welcome back to Dab to Death. I am your host, Nick Nobody Savage, and this week I'm talking about an ice-cold serial killer. And not just because he was living in Alaska. He would come to be known as the Butcher Baker, but his real name was Robert Hansen, and he abducted, raped, and murdered at least 17 young women between the years of 1971 and 1983. What made him an especially icy character was how he would release the women he abducted deep in the woods of Alaska, giving them a glimmer of hope that they were going to escape and survive before he would hunt them down like animals in a deadly game. You could almost say it was in the most dangerous game. God made some men poets, some he made kings, some beggars. Me, he made a hunter. My hand was made for the trigger, my father told me. If one of his victims hadn't been fortunate enough to escape and lead police directly to him, who knows just how long this butcher baker would have gone on killing. But before we get into this week's episode, let me tell you about what I'm dabbing on. Of course, it wouldn't be an episode of Dab to Death without some Paper Planes product. This week, I am working with three very fire live resin strains. I've got the Crostata live resin batter, the Fresh Squeezed live resin batter, and Grapes and Cream live resin batter. All three of which, really good consistency as far as like batter goes. Um, they're not like dried out at all. So they're really nice and moist. I hope you aren't bothered by that word, because I don't mind using it. Moist. I know I just made some people very uncomfortable. But anyway, so I think I'm going to start myself off with a dab here. I might as well go in alphabetical order and start with the crostata. I believe it's probably going to be the best one out of the three. Although the Fresh Squeezed has a really, really strong scent to it. Because it is Fresh Squeezed and, you know, that shit smells fresh every time. So, but I think I'll stick with the Crostata first. So, let's do it. I have also set up a secondary microphone setup here. So that while I am doing dabs, I don't have to move my microphone too much. And you guys will actually get to hear the dab rig a little better. This might not work very well. We might end up changing this again. We'll see. So as I mentioned, the, the Crostata batter has a really nice battery consistency. Uh, it's a very light blonde pale color. I'm getting like a hint of citrus, but almost with like... Like some kind of a, a sage, a, a sagebrush plant, something. Anyway, I'm just going to do the dab. Oh. 
like a sneeze and a cough at the same time. <coughs> oh, fuck. <coughs> oh, I thought my brains were going to shoot out through my nose. Really liking the flavor of this crostata. <coughs> okay. Yeah, that crostata is really good. All right. Let's get into this week's episode Cold as Ice. Robert Hansen. The Butcher Baker. Robert Christian Hansen was born in Esterville, Iowa on February 15, 1939, to Danish immigrants Christian and Edna Hansen. They moved briefly to California, but the family returned to Iowa a few years later and settled down in Pocahontas. The city, not the person. Or the Disney movie. I was confused too. Anyway... Robert was a small, shy child and had a noticeable stutter, which resulted in him getting picked on a lot as a child. As he got older, this bullying would only get worse as he developed severe acne, the scarring from which would stay with him for the rest of his life. All of this combined meant that Robert didn't have the best luck with the ladies, and he would resent them for it for the rest of his life. I'm sorry, but could he be any more of a stereotypical male? Like... Wah, I got rejected by women, and it's all their fault. Come on. Cliché. <clears throat> Robert spent most of his time alone and found that he loved practicing archery and going hunting. Other than that, he could be found working in his father's bakery. He even followed in his father's footsteps and trained as a baker right after high school despite the fact that his father was a rather strict and domineering figure, and the two had a strained relationship. So now that we know where he got his talent for baking, I wonder where he got his talent for killing. Oh yeah, the army! Well, the army reserves, technically. After high school, Robert served a very brief stint in the army reserves in 1957, where he received advanced military training and proved to be a very proficient marksman. Robert was discharged from the reserves after only a year, and try as I might, I could not find out why, which I find a little strange. When he returned home, he got a job as an assistant drill instructor at the Pocahontas Police Academy. Which, I looked it up, and Pocahontas is a very, 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 very small place. Like, a very small town. Like, their most one of their most recent census numbers was, like, 1,800 people. For the whole town. So, why y'all need an entire police academy for like 10 people? I don't know. But, moving on. 
1960 was a busy year for Robert. While working at the academy, he met and married his first wife. There's not a lot of information about this first marriage, as it lasted less than a year. His wife filed for divorce while Brian was serving a three-year sentence for burning down a school bus garage belonging to the Pocahontas County Board of Education in December of 1960. This was apparently an act of revenge for him being unpopular in high school. So, again, just being a cliche little bitch. He would only serve 20 months of that three-year sentence at Anamosa State Penitentiary. This kind of becomes a pattern here. During his stay there, he was diagnosed with periodic schizophrenic episodes and manic depression. The psychiatrist that spoke with Robert Hansen also noted that Hansen had a, quote, infantile personality and had an obsession with getting revenge on people who he felt had wronged him, especially women. I mean, that was pretty damn obvious considering he was in prison for burning down a school bus garage just because he was unpopular and blamed women for him being an awkward little bitch and having no game. But moving on, again. Robert spent the next few years popping in and out of jail for petty thefts until he met his second wife, Darla, in 1963. They had two children together and moved to Anchorage, Alaska in 1967. Alaska offered Robert a chance to start over, a place where no one knew about his past of being a rejected loner. He was actually well-liked in Anchorage and eventually opened up a rather successful bakery. By all appearances, Robert Hansen was a pillar of the community and led a perfectly normal life with his wife. This went on until Hansen was arrested twice in December of 1971. The first charges were for abducting and attempting to rape an 18-year-old woman named Susie Heppard. Hansen approached her as she was getting out of her car in front of her apartment, shoved a gun into her face, and said, Shut up, sweetheart, or I'll blow your head off. I don't know why he had to sound like that, but he did. Just, it's the way it sounded in my head. But again, moving on. Despite this warning to remain silent, Susie screamed, attracting the attention of her roommates. One of the roommates called the police while the other warned Robert that the cops were on their way. When the police arrived, Robert ran off into the night much like Richard Ramirez did in our first episode. He was quickly caught and arrested, but was released on his own recognizance. Of course, why not? Just three days later, Robert would kidnap a dancer named Robin Patterson, taking her to his cabin and raping her. He then wrote down the names and address of her parents and told her that if she ever told anyone about what had happened there, that he would kill them. Ironically enough, her father happened to be an Alaska state trooper, and after the half-naked body of a college student was found near where Robert Hansen had taken her, she decided she couldn't be quiet any longer and reported the rape, positively identifying Robert Hansen. Not gonna go off on how many times this dude gets away with shit like this, but it's a lot. Robert Hansen was arrested again on December 29, 1971, and the charges were added to the earlier charges for the incident with Susie Heppard. The family's minister and a couple of Robert's more influential friends appeared on his behalf as, quote, 
character witnesses and claimed that Robert would never harm anyone, saying that Robin must be wrong. Robert's attorney then proceeded to attack Robin's character, accusing her of being a drug addict and an unreliable witness. This, coupled with the glowing <coughs> bullshit references from Robert's friends, resulted in the charges for the rape getting dropped in favor of obtaining a guilty plea in the other case, and Hansen was sentenced to five years in prison for assault with a deadly weapon. True to form for this story, however, he was placed in a work release program only six months into his sentence and was released to a halfway house, convincing the prison staff and psychiatrists that his schizophrenia was completely under control. Right. I would also like to point out that after everything was said and done, Robert Hansen admitted that he had been killing women as far back as 1971. So basically right around this time. You know, when they were cutting plea deals with him and letting him out of prison early. While it would be so easy for me to just lay into the Anchorage Police Department and the legal system for letting someone like Robert Hansen basically waltz out of trouble multiple times, it is around this time that the Trans-Alaska Pipeline was being built. While that might sound completely unrelated, the construction of this pipeline brought tens of thousands of jobs to Anchorage, meaning that tens of thousands of people had to come with them to fill those jobs. This also brought with it a massive increase in crime, including drugs and sex work. The police were fatally unprepared for this influx of people and crime, and were quickly overwhelmed with the new workload. So I guess I'll cut them a little slack. And on that note, I think I'm going to take a dab. So, if I'm going in alphabetical order, it's fresh squeezed up next. God damn, that's strong. Like, the, the, the scent, like, it's just... The power of pine salt, the smell of clean. Like, that's what it makes me think of a little bit. Mm. Like, the lemon-scented pine salt, you know? So, yeah, this fresh squeezed, it is a super wet consistency. Um pretty damn yellow in color like a nice golden batter as i mentioned the scent very reminiscent of lemon pine salt which i love that scent even as a kid i just really liked the smell of lemon pine salt i don't know i like a lot of weird smells you know i love the smell of gasoline and uh like like roofing tar or road paving tar love the smell of that shit for some reason i don't know I was a weird kid. I'm still a weird kid. I guess I'm a weird adult now. Questionable, but we'll stick with adult. Anyway, I'm going to do this dab. Wow, that is incredibly smooth. I just realized I still have that other canvas quencher. I could have been drinking that this whole time.
Oh, well. Next time. Next time. <clears throat> Back to the story. Shortly after he was released and allowed to return home to his family, women started disappearing from around Anchorage, Alaska, starting with Celia, also known as Beth, Van Zanten, age 17. Beth went missing on December 22, 1971, and her body was found three days later on Christmas Day. Remember that half-naked college student I mentioned earlier? Pretty sure that's her. Robert would deny that he killed her, but the location of her body just happened to correspond perfectly with a key piece of evidence that we'll get to later on in the episode. So stay tuned. 17-year-old Megan Emmerich also disappeared two years later in July of 1973. At the time, Hansen owned a boat that he kept moored in Seward, Alaska, which was near Resurrection Bay, where Megan's body was buried. Again, Robert would deny killing her, but the location of her body would once more match up with the key piece of evidence. Then, in 1975, Mary Kathleen Till, age 22, was dropped off by some friends in Seward and was never seen again. It is believed that Robert Hansen also killed her and buried her near Seward, though he denied it and her body was never recovered. Not long after the disappearance of Mary Till, Robert picked up a dancer from the Kit Kat Club near Anchorage, probably luring her with false promises of money in exchange for services. Hansen drove her to Chugach... Chugach? Chugash? The fuck? Hold on. Chugach. Chugach. Oh, fucking K. Hansen drove her to the Chugach State Park, raped her, and then released her. She reported the rape, did, but did not want to press charges, and Hansen's parole officer was notified. Robert simply told his parole officer that he thought that him and the dancer were on a date, so the officer dropped the fucking issue. Like, I'm sorry, but what? This person who you know was in prison for attempting to kidnap and rape people, or raping people, and was out on parole for that. <sighs> so basically, because a lot of these women were dancers and sex workers... The authorities really didn't want to believe their stories or they didn't, you know, they, they believed this, this upstanding, quiet, respected member of the community because, you know, he's white and he happens to own a business. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, it's just bullshit that the parole officer was just like, yeah, OK, that's fine. And I'm sorry, but because you thought you were on a date. You, you raped her? And that makes it okay? <sighs> Sorry. I just... This story is frustrating. Anyway. Robert found himself in trouble with the law again in 1976 when he was arrested for stealing a chainsaw from a hardware store in Anchorage. I, I'm sorry, but what were you going to use the chainsaw for, sir? I feel like if you were going to use the chainsaw for anything legal and legitimate, you would purchase the chainsaw. The fact that you're stealing the chainsaw makes me think that you're trying to cut up some bodies. Anyway, he pled guilty to larceny and was sentenced to five years in prison and required to get treatment for his bipolar disorder. No mention of the schizophrenia, though. That's cool. 
Neither of those things would happen, however. The Alaskan Supreme Court decided that since his prior offenses were, quote, several years ago, and because he was such an upstanding member of the community and a family man, that his sentence should be reduced and he was released with time served, only 16 months into his sentence. It is believed by some that Robert went on to commit a series of rapes and murders immediately following this release, but nothing has ever been confirmed. The first body to be found that can actually be attributed to Robert Hansen was that of Aklutna Annie, whose actual name and age are still unknown. She disappeared sometime between November of 1979 and June of 1980. Hansen mainly targeted sex workers and dancers relying on the fact that people wouldn't ask a lot of questions when they went missing. Most people would probably assume that they had simply left town looking for something better. Her body was found on July 21, 1980, and she had been stabbed in the back. She had been buried in a shallow grave off Aklutna Lake Road. Aklutna? Whatever. Aklutna Lake Road, hence the name Aklutna Annie, and by the time she had been discovered, she had been partially eaten by animals. Shortly after, the badly de decomposed body of Joanna Messina, who had disappeared the month before in May, was found in a gravel pit near Seward. Because the two bodies were found so far from each other, the police assumed that two different people had to be responsible for the murders. In 1982, Robert Hansen opened his own bakery in Anchorage, and business was booming. Robert became a very popular fixture in the community, and people loved stopping by for freshly baked treats from Baker Bob. This provided him with enough money to purchase the plane that would allow him to transport his victims throughout his murder spree. Actually, there was also um, apparently uh, an insurance claim for some stolen uh, hunting trophies that apparently he got it cashed out for, and that helped pay for the plane as well. Hansen also kept up with his love for hunting, which provided him with a convenient excuse for being out of the house so much and would play a much darker role in the story, which would be revealed after his arrest. Two off-duty cops from the Anchorage Police Department discovered the remains of 23-year-old Sherry Morrow on a sandbar while they were moose hunting on the Kinnick River. Alaska State Trooper Sergeant Lyle Hogsman was called out to the scene, and the remains brought to mind the long list of missing women that were reported to the police a list that seemed to be growing faster and faster these days. Suspecting that this might be the work of a serial killer, Sergeant Hogsman compiled a list of over 30 suspects he believed could be the culprit. One of the names on that list was Robert Christian Hansen. After a few months of no leads and no more bodies turning up, the police moved on from the idea of a serial killer. In fact, there would be no other advances in the case until June 13, 1983, when 17-year-old Cindy Paulson managed to escape from Robert Hansen and flagged down Robert Yunt, a passing truck driver. Shocked by the state of panic that she was in, instead of taking Cindy to the police station, he drove her to the Mush Inn like she asked, where she attempted to get the motel clerk to let her call her boyfriend who was staying at the Big Timber Motel. The truck driver went on to report the incident to the police, who went out to investigate. The cops eventually tracked Cindy down at the Big Timber Motel, where she was still handcuffed and in a state of shock. 
the story she laid out for the Alaskan police was a chilling one. That day, Robert Hansen had pulled up and offered Cindy Paulson $200 in exchange for oral sex. She agreed and got into the car with him. After all, he seemed like a shy, quiet guy and didn't come across as too much of a threat, and she could really use the money. He suggested that they go to a nearby car park to do the deed, and after Cindy had finished performing her end of the bargain, Robert Hansen grabbed her by the head and shoved a gun in her face. Robert claimed that she would be safe as long as she did whatever he told her, but as we all know by now, and as Cindy was putting together, that was a goddamn lie. He then drove her to his house, and as they entered the neighborhood, Cindy began making mental notes of everything she could possibly remember. Cindy was pretty fucking smart. She was like, I'm going to remember everything. I'm going to remember what color the house is. I'm going to remember the fucking mailbox. I'm going to remember what, you know, the neighbor's car looks like. Everything. My first question when I heard this part of the story was obviously, where the fuck were his wife and kids? Well, apparently... They were out of town at the time. I'm starting to wonder if, like, maybe Robert made sure they were out of town a lot of the time, you know? Oh, honey, it's fine. Go visit your sister. I'll just, I have to work. You know, I gotta be here for the bakery. It's fine. Dick. Anyway. Robert proceeded to beat and sexually assault Cindy, then wrapped a chain around her neck that was bolted to a post in the basement. While Robert was asleep on a couch, Cindy looked around the basement, which Robert referred to as his den, and memorized everything. The room was full of hunting trophies, there were animal heads mounted on the wall, and there were even pictures of Robert Hansen and hunting awards with his name on them. When Robert woke up, he loaded Cindy back into his car, saying that he was going to show her his cabin and that he would release her after that. He also explained that the only way to his cabin was by boat or with a bush plane, which is a small private plane used for short hopping flights, usually in remote and hard-to-reach areas. Cindy could tell that he was full of shit and knew that if she got into Robert's plane, she was basically as good as dead. They arrived at Merrillfield Airport, where Robert kept his plane, a Piper PA-18 Super Cub, as he was distracted with loading supplies into the plane, Cindy bolted out of the car and headed for the nearest street, where she flagged down Robert Yount. Cindy Paulson described Robert in great detail to authorities, down to his acne scarring, crooked teeth, and his stutter. She also described his car and his home extensively. Cindy was even able to lead Anchorage police officer Greg Baker, who responded to the Big Timber Motel, to the airstrip, and straight to the hangar housing the plane registered to Robert C. Hansen. Police questioned Robert, who denied Cindy's story, and claimed that he had an airtight alibi for the day that Cindy was abducted, and two of his friends, who were both respected and influential members of the community, even backed up his story, saying that he was with them the entire time. Things were not looking good for Cindy. It's just bullshit that they didn't believe her. It's like... But anybody else noticing, like, a running pattern here? Like, especially, like, you look at Eileen Warnos, nobody believed her. And here, nobody believed her. It's just, it's ridiculous. On that note, I think I need my last dab of the episode, which means it's time for the Grapes and Cream Live Resin Batter. 
<sighs> well, it also has a very light golden color, much like the Fresh Squeezed. Um, another nice wet consistency also. I'd say probably a little more battery than the Fresh Squeezed. Um, I'm trying to place the scent. It's a little earthy. Uh, light floral hint, maybe. Light citrus? I'm, I don't know. I think I'm just going to dab it. in the face. So I'd say out of the three of those, the Crostata, the Fresh Squeezed, and the Grapes and Cream, I was going into it expecting that the Crostata was going to be my favorite, but I think I'm going to switch that over to the, the Fresh Squeezed. Uh, the, just the, the smell of it was really good. The flavor was super smooth, super refined. Um, I just, I just, I loved it personally. So out of the three, I'd say Fresh Squeezed is number one on my list if you want to check that out when it hits shelves. Uh, and then second would be the Cristata and then the Grapes and Cream. The the Grapes and Cream, it's it did hit pretty well. It hit pretty hard. Um, but uh, just like as far as the flavor profile, I like the Cristata a little better. So yeah. Anyway, let's get back into this and wrap this story up. As we were talking about, the police didn't really know what to make of the situation. On the one hand, they had an underage sex worker who was telling them that this was 100% the man who had abducted and raped her, and who had described every single detail of Robert Hansen's life, down to the random trash and items that he had in his car. Like, that is a detailed fucking description. It's like, you can't fucking give that without being there, without knowing it, without seeing it. On the other hand, they had a man who, even though he had a criminal past, was now a, quote, well-liked and respected member of the community with what appeared to be an airtight alibi. More and more, the police were beginning to question Cindy's story, and they decided to try and have her take a polygraph test to determine if she was lying. Which, it's so fucked up again that they didn't believe her, despite all of the details she was able to provide. Of course, Cindy basically refused and shortly after dipped the fuck out because if they weren't going to believe her anyway, she wasn't going to stick around to be charged for you know, being a sex worker. On September 2nd, 1983, the body of 21-year-old Paula Golding was found on the Kinnick River, not far from where Sherry Morrow had been found. Alaska State Trooper Sergeant Glenn Floth... Floth? Glenn Floth... 
was assigned to investigate the series of murders in the Kinnick River area, and he was convinced that this was the work of a serial killer. Floth, Glenn Floth, Glenn Floth. Hold on. Flothe. <laughs> Glenn Flothe. Flothe. <laughs> Alright, well you heard the phone. It said Flothe. <clears throat> Alaska State Trooper Sergeant Glenn Flothe was, was assigned to investigate... I'm sorry. I <clears throat> Alaska State Trooper Sergeant Sergeant... Sergeant Sergeant... <laughs> <laughs> Alaska State Trooper Sergeant Glenn Flothe was assigned to investigate the series of murders in the Kinnick River area, and he was convinced that the, this <laughs> uh, he was convinced that this was the work of a serial killer. Uh, side note: This story was turned into a movie in 2013 titled "The Frozen Ground," starring Nicolas Cage as Jack Halcombe, who is based on Sergeant. Flathe. It's like sucker. But anyway, for all you True Blood fans out there, all 12 of you that'll admit it. Anyway, based on Sergeant Flathe and John Cusack as Robert Hansen. It's actually pretty good. If you haven't seen it, I suggest checking it out. Sergeant Flathe contacted the FBI's Behavioral Sciences Division and asked them to create a profile of their killer the results of which were scarily accurate. The profile that the FBI came back with, which was put together by profiler John Douglas, described a man around 40 years old who was an avid outdoorsman and hunter. The killer spoke with a stutter and suffered from low self-esteem as a result of rejection from the opposite sex most of his life. Their killer also liked to keep trophies from his kills, most likely jewelry or clothing, which was also shockingly accurate. He also wrote that the killer would be a well-respected member of the community and a successful businessman who was married to a very religious woman who was largely unaware of his activities. You know, and this actually like brings up a good point for me is like I am absolutely fascinated by this process of criminal profiling because like how the hell do they do that? Like, the profile that Douglas sent back to Alaska Hi. described Robert Hansen and his wife Darla perfectly. Armed with the psychological profile from the FBI and Cindy's statement, Flaffe was finally able to get the warrant to search Robert Hansen's home, as well as his bakery. During the search, they found an aviation map stashed behind the headboard of Robert and Darla's bed, which was marked with 24 small black X's which meant nothing at the time, but would prove to be a monumental piece of evidence later. Remember I mentioned this earlier? They also found a stash of women's jewelry and some guns in the attic of the house that matched the caliber of shells that were found with some of the bodies. The evidence was piling up, and Robert Hansen was arrested and charged with kidnapping, assault, theft, insurance fraud, and weapons charges. Yeah, because uh, those stolen hunting trophies were never stolen. He claims that he f recovered them later in his backyard, but then forgot to tell the insurance company. Like, how? what? No. No, sir. 
You're full of shit. After his arrest, Robert attempts to talk his way out of the situation, saying that he had been with some of these women, but that the sex had been consensual, and that they only claimed it was rape because he refused to pay them more money than what was agreed upon. Mainly referring, I'm assuming, to Cindy Paulson, as as everybody else he encountered pretty much ended up dead. That's another thing, is like, his story basically changed with Cindy Paulson. First, it was, oh, I have an airtight alibi for that day. I never saw Cindy Paulson. All of a sudden, it was like, nah, nah. It was like, you know, like, she just wanted more money, and I didn't want to pay her more money, so she's mad, and now she's saying I raped her. Oh, but I'm sorry, sir. I thought you were with your two friends all day. Bullshit. Anyway. As the evidence against Robert began to pile up, the two friends who had provided the alibi for him before retracted their statements, admitting that they didn't know what they were protecting him from when they first lied on his behalf. Bam, you fucked now. You got no alibi? You, G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. You ugly. Yeah, yeah, you ugly. Anyway. After his alibi fell apart, and after the state troopers realized that four of the X marks on the aviation map corresponded perfectly with the locations where women's bodies had been found, Robert Hansen finally gave in and confessed to a grisly string of rapes and murders that spanned a period of 12 years. As part of a plea deal, Robert agreed to plead guilty to four of the murders, those of Aklutna Annie, Joanna Messina, Sherry Morrow, and Paula Golding, in exchange for information about the other murders. Another part of this deal was that Robert would be allowed to serve his time in a federal prison and that there would be no publicity in the press, as long as Robert showed them where the other gravesites were. Robert Hansen would go on to lead authorities to 17 different gravesites all around Alaska, 12 of which investigators knew nothing about. Robert refused to give up all of the marks on the map, however, including three that were in Resurrection Bay. Many believe that two of these marks are the grave markers of Mary Till and Megan Emmerich, even though Robert denied having anything to do with their murders. I believe that those were like his practice killings and that for whatever reason he just didn't want to claim them. You know, it was like it was before he had the plane, it was like when he was first starting out, like... Notice they were spaced out more. It was like, you know, a couple years, a couple years, and then all of a sudden it's like bam, 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 bam. Like he, he was warming up. He was learning. He was getting, he was perfecting his method, you know? So I feel like maybe he just didn't want to take credit for anything that he felt wasn't a perfect, you know, his, his perfect murder or whatever. Anyway. In total, the remains of 12 victims were recovered and returned to their families, providing closure for some of his victims' families. Some believe, however, that the true count of Robert Hansen's victims is closer to 30 or more, so there could be more out there that we will never know about. On February 27, 1984, Robert Christian Hansen was sentenced to 461 years plus life. Why? What the fuck is the point of that? 461 years plus life. Do you think the son of a bitch is going to live longer than 461 years? Anyway. Plus life without the possibility of parole. He would spend the bulk of his incarceration at the Spring Creek Correctional Center, 
until his death on August 21, 2014, due to lingering health problems at the age of 75. As a result of the Robert Hansen case, Alaska state troopers started to develop protocols specifically for dealing with sexual assault cases, and the state built a $56 million state-of-the-art crime lab for evidence processing. While these are great steps in the right direction, there is still a lot that needs to be done as far as protecting women in the state of Alaska, which still has the highest rate per capita of female victims killed by men. In fact, according to a 2015 survey, 50 out of every 100 women in Alaska have experienced intimate partner violence, sexual violence, or both. And that is the story of cold-blooded killer Robert Hansen, an icy-hearted assassin who raped and murdered at least 17 women in the Arctic landscape of Alaska. Next week, join me as I talk about John List, the man who almost got away with murdering his entire family. And tune in Sunday for Burn and Urban, where I burn the legend of the Dybbuk Box. Until then, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. If you have any feedback on the episode or any topics you would like me to cover, please send them in to feedback at dabtodeath.com, or you can message me on any of the social medias at dabtodeath, unless you're on Instagram, then it's at dabtodeathpodcast. Until next time, be careful out there. You never know when you may get dabtodeath.